I'm going to be reading Philippians 3 to 4, verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Bethlehem, Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the price promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us who are ma- let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will, will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in Im- imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand forth in the Lord, dear friends. Well, friends, uh, it is good for us to reflect on God's Word together on this final day of the year, even though we are few in number and um, 
uh, it is nevertheless a good time for us to come and to reflect on what Jesus says for us. And sorry that we have the wrong <laughs> words on the screen, uh, but Mila did read the right ones, and that's a good thing. So I'll, um, I'll repeat uh, salient sections as we go through. But it is good for us uh, on a day like today to reflect about, uh, you know, what has happened over the last year. What successes can we celebrate? Uh, what failures can we learn from? Many of us will gather around dinner tables tonight or things like that and reflect on the year together as families. We might think of the achievements of the year. You know, what ATAR score did I get? Did I get that promotion at work, for example? What projects might I have completed? What do we have that we can be thankful for? And yet if that is all we do on a day like today, we will have missed a wonderful opportunity actually to reflect on our spiritual lives as well. You know, how have we grown over the last year? When I look over the last year, when have I felt most alive in Christ, most connected to God? When perhaps did I feel most disconnected and far away? What aspects of my life have glorified Him and what parts lived contrary to His revealed will for me? And then looking forward to the here ahead, we can ask the same kinds of questions again. Where am I going? What am I aiming for? What, you know, what am I being motivated by? Is it purely selfish desires or am I seeking to worship Jesus in all that I do as I seek to follow him? This passage from 1 Philippians 3 actually gives us a helpful way to guide our thoughts and reflections this way. And so uh, I want to reflect on what Paul here says to the Philippian church because it gives us these two kind of guiding principles that, uh, that we can use to arrange our, our focus for our lives for the next year on. And so, firstly, I, I, I want to ask, you know, what are the wrong things to focus on and reflect on? And secondly, what are the right things to focus on? So, very simple, what are the wrong things, what are the right things? So, let's look first at the wrong things. What does focusing on the wrong things in life actually look like? Uh, we read here from, uh, from verse 1. So Paul, uh, so Paul is writing to the Philippian church and he says this, In addition, or finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I write to you again about this, uh, sorry, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Then he says this, Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal persecuting the church, regarding righteousness that is in the law, blameless." Now, in the book of Philippians, where Paul is up to in his kind of flow of thought is that he's been working up to this particular point. You know, he, uh, so what, what has been happening in the Philippian church is um, that, so the church was founded, and after the church was founded, elders were established within the church, they were governing the church, and then what happened over time is these false teachers had come into the church. They were infiltrating the church. And specifically, what they were teaching is that the Christians in Philippi, uh, if they were to, uh, to become truly 
true Christians. You know, Jesus is great and all that, but if you want to be really pleasing to God, then if you want to be accepted by God, then you had to become Jewish also. Specifically, you had to be circumcised. Which, of course, in the Old Testament, circumcision was this external sign that you belonged to God's people. And so what these teachers had been teaching is if you wanted to belong to God's people, the blood of Christ was not enough. You also had to become culturally uh, Jewish as well. And so Paul uses this letter to, this opportunity in, in his letter to address this particular issue. And he calls out these false teachers and he calls them, you know, some pretty harsh names. He calls them dogs, evil workers, mutilators of the flesh. And he's very clear here. He says, if someone teaches anything other than salvation in Christ Jesus and him crucified, then they are wrong, they should be rejected, they are deceiving you. And in fact, that teaching is itself evil. But now notice this, as Paul does this, he actually addresses this question of focusing on the wrong things. And he lists all the things that he used to focus on that were actually the wrong things, the things that gave him meaning and purpose and a sense of identity, but in relation to Jesus were actually the wrong things. He says, I had confidence in the flesh. So he specifically lists his heritage. He was uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrew, an Israelite of Israelites. It was his ancestry that gave him confidence. He did all the things that was required of the people of Israel. Circumcised on the eighth day according to the law, a Hebrew of Hebrews, an Israelite of Israelites. Not that these things were wrong in and of themselves, but focusing on them for his sense of identity now that he was a Christian, was a problem. Trusting in his ancestry before God is a problem. Focusing on your family history as the source of who you are when you are a Christian is focusing on the wrong thing, says Paul. Now how often does this trip us up, friends? You know, my wife is a baumer. They are builders and carpenters, people who literally with their own hands, built the school my children go to. I am a Pretorius, you know, from that distinguished line of uh, Fuertrakers, you know. These aren't bad things. These are wonderful things. But before God, they mean nothing, actually. These are external things. They are not the things of the heart. You know, when, uh, when God chooses David as the king of Israel after the king Saul. So he was the second king of Israel. Uh, he sends Samuel to go and, and find David, you know. So he goes to, to Jesse's house, David's father's house, and he sees the first son. This was an outwardly impressive guy, Eliab. You know, he's tall, he was physically strong, he had charisma, he was all the things you would expect from a king. And God says to Samuel, not this one, because I don't look at outward appearance I look at what's in the heart. You see, when Jesus, uh, when, when you meet Jesus, when he comes to again, uh, again to earth, right? Like if he, he comes in his second uh, coming and he asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Why should you inherit eternal life with me? Do you really want to say, because I am a Benjamite, because of my family tree, is that really, do you think, good enough, actually, to stand before God compared to the perfect life that God requires of you? 
You see, your relationship with Jesus actually has nothing to do with your family history or your national history, but that's a good thing. Because many of us would have had parents who weren't truly Christians, you know. We don't actually want heaven on the basis of their lack of faith, do we? By the same token, we don't want to rely on our parents' faith either because that's putting confidence in the flesh. Each generation, again and again, has this opportunity to come and meet Jesus afresh as a new generation. To worship Him, to put your confidence in Him rather than in your ancestry. And as you consider the last year, where has your heritage, your family line, your family obligations actually outweighed your relationship with Christ? Because our families can actually uh, separate us or cause us to focus on the wrong things. Where did where we came from overrule where we are going spiritually? Where has our relationships with our, with our family members actually pulled us away from God rather than encouraged our relationship with God? This confidence in the flesh, focusing on that, is a wrong thing, says Paul. But there's a second wrong thing that for him is actually, I think, or for us, more important. And that is confidence in the law. Now, the second thing that Paul has had his identity formed by was his confidence in the law. He said it was a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee was someone who was devoted to obeying not just the Ten Commandments, but also all the ceremonial laws, all the cultic and priestly laws, everything that existed in Israel. Also, uh, he wanted to uh, obey all these things, but not only these things, also all the extra laws that this group of the Pharisees had put together to make sure that they stay away from breaking the actual law of God. And he says of himself in verse 7, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that in, is in the law, he was blameless. So keeping all these laws were a great source of pride and confidence for Paul. But I wonder whether as we reflect on the year that has passed, we might actually fall into the same trap of trusting in our good works, in obeying the law, so to speak. You know, Paul here says he pursued living a righteous life before God with such enthusiasm that he actually ended up holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Christians to death. And I wonder whether our zeal for living for God, living righteous lives, if you were, can sometimes take the place of our relationship with Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You know, following God's plan for your life as he lays it out in Scripture, as Scripture defines it, is not a bad thing. Obeying the rules that God has put into place for how we should live life best, you know, obeying the Bible if you like, and not bending on issues on which Scripture is clear but what the world wants you to, that's a good thing. That's actually an admirable thing. But here's the truth of the matter. We can be so focused on keeping the law of God that we can neglect our relationship with God. Our desire to live righteously can actually start to outweigh our love for Christ. And one of the key indicators, one of the key markers of whether this is starting to happen for you, as for Paul, is a sense of pride. He was proud to be a Pharisee, a keeper of the law. 
And I think the way this plays out in our lives is whether we are gracious with those who are not doing so well. You see, when we have things sorted, when we're doing all the right things, and when we start trusting in doing all these right things, when they start giving us this confidence in the law, what almost invariably happens, at least in my experience, is that we become callously hard-hearted people, particularly towards those who are also believers who are not doing as well as we are. Our ability to extend grace to them is not so good. Our love for our struggling brother and sister is actually replaced with this kind of sense of superiority because I've got this right and they don't. You know, they're so terrible. And the reason for this is that we have forgotten that our righteousness before God is actually entirely and solely based on the work of Jesus on the cross. We are no better than a person who earnestly struggles with their sin but who is still stumbling. And the moment we start to think of ourselves as better, as having achieved a higher level of spiritual maturity, as as superior or, or anything like that, we have proven just how far we still have to go. And so as we consider our life this past year, where have we put in our confidence in the in the flesh? Where have we put our confidence in the flesh? When did we look down on the lesser believer? Who could we have helped up spiritually but in our heart and mind condemned as a lesser Christian? Because confidence in the law looks like that. These are the wrong things to focus on. And as we consider the year to come, as we consider our priorities for 2024, Paul tells us that there are other things, more important things to focus on. If those are the wrong things, then what are the right things? Or specifically, what is the right thing? I read from verse 7. If you've got your Bibles, please read with me. But everything that was gained to me, this is Paul writing, he says, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ Jesus, in righteousness from God, based on faith. My goal is to know him, And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. As we reflect on this past year and we look forward to the year to come, this is the thing that should guide us. This is the main thing, the central thing, the thing from which all other things must flow. It is that big rock in the jar around which all the little things must fall. The all-surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as our Lord. You know, knowing Jesus as Lord is the central, most important thing that should define us, should define our actions, should define our goals and priorities in the year to come. And when we look over the year 
uh, that has passed, the things we did, the projects we pursued, the way we spent our time, both recreational and volunteer time. This is the guiding question we should ask. Has this helped me know Jesus better? This thing of all-surpassing value, knowing Christ as my Lord, has what I have done helped or hindered me in my relationship with him? The business decisions I made, have they been shaped by my knowledge of Christ? Or is business just business and our relationship with Jesus doesn't really factor into it? The relationships I pursued, the relationships I led dwindle, the ones that I invested in, were those decisions shaped by my love for Christ? Or was it more because of what was convenient for me at the time or what was going on in my heart, what I wanted, contrary to God's law? The places I spend my resources, my time, my energy, my volunteer hours, did they help foster my relationship with Christ? Or did I choose to live for myself? If the central, most important thing that defines us as a Christian is our relationship with Christ, then every other choice we make is subject to that and should be guided by whether that will help us know Jesus better or take us away from him. So how important is this to the Christian? How strongly is this a priority in your life? Well, Paul says... Everything else I count as loss. Because of him, Jesus, that is, I have suffered loss of all things and I consider them as done. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And what Paul is saying here is that as a believer, you should be willing to lose everything just to get Jesus. Everything is expendable for the sake of Christ. Everything you have is a cost worth paying if it helps you grow in your relationship with Christ. And that's pretty radical. And it's radical whether you are a new Christian or whether you've been following Jesus for years. You know, let's say, for example, you're only just starting to have a relationship with Jesus. You're just starting to explore faith in Jesus and what that might entail. Maybe you're not quite ready to commit or maybe you're not quite convinced about what this means for you. Maybe you've just started taking your first tentative steps in faith or you've already committed yourself to Christ but you're just learning what this might mean for you. Well, if this is you, by all means, welcome. You know, it's great to be able to walk this journey with you. But if this is you, this is a radical thing the Bible tells us here, isn't it? It's a pretty radical thing that the Bible says here. It means that you need to be willing to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. Maybe that means that there are some activities that you're engaged in or friends who just aren't going to be appropriate for you anymore. If Jesus is my Lord, then I'm going to live for him and not to party. If Jesus is my king, then I might have to leave some friendship groups. I might have to give up some hobbies. There might be patterns of behavior that I'm going to have to leave behind because I live for someone else now. That is such a radical shift 
that the Bible describes that choice as dying to your old self. <laughs> yes, dying. Considering it at all done compared to the all-surpassing value of knowing Jesus. It's pretty radical. Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while already. You've grown up, maybe in a Christian family, you've, you've been a believer for some time, and you want to keep growing on your relationship, in your relationship with Jesus too. And if that's you, by all means, welcome. It's good to walk this journey with you too. If that's you, which is probably most of us, yes, if that's you, when Paul writes this, he's writing a pretty radical thing to us too, isn't he? It means that this life that we live, which has been shaped by our faith, yes, now needs to take the next step. It might mean that we step out of our comfort zone and actually start sacrificing for Jesus' sake. I might need to put my lack of courage to death and risk for the relationship, uh, relationships for the sake of other people's eternity. I need to change the way I make decisions. Stop living for myself with this Christian veneer, you know, where my faith is really only one part of my being, but not the very central thing. If this is us, then our very, every aspect of our life needs to be reconsidered according to that rock that is central to who we are. And that includes everything from how I drive my car to what toilet paper I buy, which plants I plant in my garden, right through to the big questions of which uni courses I enroll in, which jobs I apply for, how I spend my money and invest my time. Because all of those things are but dung compared to the all-surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And as this year closes, the measuring stick we are to use for our lives is this. Did the things I did, the things I pursued, bring me closer to Christ or push me further away? Did I choose things that would build my relationship with Jesus or harm it? And as we turn to 2024 and we think about what should I focus on, what should my aim be for the year, this should be it. The things I do should help me grow closer to Christ. And as the year approaches, we have some pretty significant things to think about. Is Jesus and the value of knowing him the main thing in our lives? We've seen what the wrong things are. Confidence in the flesh, confidence in the law. The main thing is pursuing Christ. So how do we do it? Well, Paul is very clear. This is actually something we choose to do. We have a responsibility in this. Our salvation depends entirely on Christ. How we respond to that is an act of our will. We have a responsibility here. It's not something that just happens by itself. It is our responsibility to pursue. I read from verse 12. So Paul is reflecting on the fact that he wants to keep knowing Jesus better and better. And he says, Not that I have already reached the goal, or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. 
I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, reaching towards the goal to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying in verse 12, you know, he's recognising that this is actually a lifelong journey, right? I'm not already perfect, I haven't reached the goal, but I make every effort to take hold of it. We won't be perfect until we are with Jesus and resurrected with him. But that doesn't give us an excuse to just rest on our laurels, to sit back and do nothing, to, to wait as if you know, God's just going to act in our hearts and in our lives without us uh, you know, being part of that process. We have a responsibility to pursue Christ. Paul says it this way, I make every effort to take a hold of it. Why? Because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Do you see that? That's incredible. There's a little truth bomb, if you like, there. Paul says, you know, if you have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus, if you are truly a Christian, you will do this. I will pursue this because I have been pursued. I will seek to take hold of this because I have been taken hold of. We are to make every effort because Jesus has already grabbed us. And because he's grabbed us, we now need to grab on to him with all our might. Every day growing deeper and stronger and pursuing him. Is this you? When we look back at our life, and we look forward to 24, how many of the things that we have planned to do in our calendar help us to grab hold of Jesus more deeply? Should you perhaps consider a weekend at a conference somewhere aimed at helping you grow in your faith? How many of those are part of your regular yearly planning? We plan for things like holidays, we plan for when school is on and you know, business trips and so on. But have you planned some time to spend with God? Maybe it's attending a training event on how to share Christ with your friends or some online course or something to help you serve in ministry in some way, some way to grab hold more deeply of Jesus. When you look at the books you plan to read this year, what proportion of them are aimed at helping you grow as a Christian? you want recommendations for books i'd love to give you some when you drive to the car in your car or on the train and which podcasts are you listening to is it hamish and andy or 10 minute bible talks friends these are all ways in which we can actively choose to pursue our relationship with jesus ways in which we can grab a better hold of him than before but I think the reality is, if we honestly reflect on our lives and when we look back at the year that's passed, I think most of us, myself included, have fall, fallen pretty woefully short of seeking to pursue Christ with everything we have, right? And when we do that, there is a real temptation for us to get crushed by guilt. But I think that's why Paul gave us verse 14, uh, 13 as well. He says... But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, there is grace for us every day, every year again. We can forget what is behind because Jesus has already died for us and our sins are covered. Forgetting what is behind 
and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Today is yet another opportunity for us to look back and realise where we've been and then to forget about it and then to look forward to what is ahead. Because Jesus' mercies are new every morning and new every year. And so as we look forward to the year to come, it is my hope and my dream that you will press on towards the goal which is knowing Christ Jesus. May you be shaped with his love for you and may you consider all other things as, all other things as a loss compared to the all-surpassing value of knowing him. And as we look to the here ahead, it is my prayer that we may pursue God faithfully, Christ faithfully, grabbing hold of him because he's already grabbed hold of us. May that be true for you. Let me pray. Lord, as we reflect on, our, on, on the year past, the years even past, we recognise that we have fallen woefully short of this great, um, I guess, model for us of pursuing you with everything we have. And yet we thank you, Lord, that we can, in fact, forget about that because your mercies are new to us every morning. May we, in the, in the year to come, plan to live for you. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will help us to grow deeper and stronger in our relationship with you. May we reevaluate our lives according to this yardstick, this value, all-surpassing value of knowing you as our Lord. And may you bless us as we seek to live for you in the year to come. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.